Ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and doers, seekers of purpose and fulfillment, welcome to Passion on Purpose, the podcast that sets your soul on fire and ignites the spark within you. I'm your host, Steph Hilfer, and I'm beyond thrilled you're here. Passion on Purpose features leaders, experts, and sometimes me on center stage. We put the spotlight on visionaries, entrepreneurs, leaders, experts, and everyday heroes to share their journey of self-discovery, enthusiasm, and unwavering determination. We'll explore how they use their passion and purpose to fuel their brand. Alongside our leaders, we'll provide practical tips, actionable advice, and wisdom from our experts across various fields. So if you're ready to unleash your inner fire, shake off the doubts and insecurities, and pursue a life of purpose with unbridled enthusiasm, then let's dive in. Hello, guys. We are back with another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast, and I'm so excited. Today's expert on Center Stage episode is Alan Stein Jr. You guys might remember from season one, he coming on as a leader on Center Stage, and we, I mean, that episode from season one, was the longest episode (laughs) of the whole season. And so I knew right then and there that for season two, we were going to have Alan back because there was just so much good value. And I I could probably just talk to you forever, Alan. You always give good nuggets, great tangible pieces of advice. So um, thank you for coming back on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to a fun follow-up discussion. Yes, yes. Okay, so guys, um, as we do with our expert episodes, I just want to make sure you hang on with us because it is a little bit of a longer show. And I want to give you a little bit of a sneak into what we plan to talk about. And then we'll dive into it. So Alan is a author, a coach, a uh, keynote speaker. He is a podcast host. He is a shoe enthusiast. Check out his Instagram. He will tell you every shoe he's wearing for the the week, the day, I swear. Sometimes you have like, you're like a Jessica Sarah Parker with your like outfit changes, but it's shoe changes. (laughs) And I love it, by the way. I'm not teasing you. I'm geeking out with you. Um, So Alan is a plethora of amazing things. Definitely check out his books. Definitely check out his podcast. And what we're here today to talk about is his experience in in the sports world, in the business world, and in the specific high-performance world, how you in your business, in your personal brand, your corporate brand, how you can apply what he's learned over the decades of teaching others and working with the greats, how you can use these skills to make impact through your leadership, improve sales revenue. Every single one of the clients I have, people I speak to are always asking stuff. How do I increase my revenue? How do I make more sales? We're going to dive right into that today. Um, talking about team cohesion. If you are struggling to hire, if you're struggling to keep great team members, um, if you're struggling to recruit, get anyone to just apply for the job and show up, um, this little segment, we want to talk about how to create team cohesion. And then we're going to talk about creating loyal customers. So once you get those sales, once you have a great team, you have people coming in, buying your things, loving your service, you know, giving you reviews, how do you get them to come back? So we have a lot that we are hoping to talk about. Um, Alan's like, yes, Steph, thanks a lot. Uh, we're we're going to try to squeeze this all in. And uh, so with that, we're going to dive in. Alan, thank you again for being here. 
Oh, my pleasure. I appreciate you, you know, providing an outline of what we plan to cover. And I'll try and be a little more succinct this time so we don't have a six-hour episode. <laughs> Maybe that's the future of the show or six-hour episodes. <laughs> um, okay, perfect. So with all of the work you've done across businesses and your keynote speaking through all of the, you know, intimate conversations you've had with businesses and large, you know, interactions with audiences, what what is kind of the common theme you see around impact through leadership? And what are you telling uh, listeners today is the most key thing to make impact through leadership? I'm a huge believer in the, the foundational mantra of transformational leadership, which is intentionally choosing to see the world through the lens of, it's not about me, it's about you. I think the best and most effective and most impactful leaders on the planet just naturally um, value and respect and appreciate everybody else's goals, everybody else's dreams, the, the contributions that others want to make. So they look through the lens of, it's not about me, it's about you. And they, they do that with their spouses and their children and their significant others and friends. They do that with those on their team, their colleagues and their coworkers. Uh, they do that with those that they serve, uh, their customers and their clients and their members. They, they constantly place a major emphasis on what it is that the other person is looking to achieve and looking to do. And, and this doesn't mean that they don't value themselves, uh, that they don't emphasize and prioritize their own self-care and fill their own bucket. It just means they do that for others to the same degree that they do that for themselves. And it's been my experience that when you shift your focus off of what you want from people and you shift it onto what you want for people, you become the most magnetic leader in any room. I feel like that comes naturally to some people and others, it doesn't. When when you run into the people where it just doesn't fall naturally, what are some, you know, outside of just thinking of that, what are some tactical things that somebody could try to keep that in mind? There are a lot of leaders who are very great at what they do, but they really do lead with what they need and somehow they continue to, to prosper. But if we wanted to kind of shift that personality into what you just shared, what would you suggest? Well, I'll use myself as an example because in the spirit of vulnerability, you know, for the first several decades of my life, that was kind of the camp that I fell into. Um, I, I certainly had some selfish tendencies. You know, having done some, some personal work over the last few years, I realized that most of that was rooted in, in insecurities and fears and, and worries that I was never enough. So I, I constantly needed and craved um, other people's, you know, uh, affection and appreciation and, and accolades. So I was always more concerned with what I was getting out of any relationship or what I was getting out of, of any interaction with someone. And uh, ultimately, that left me with a very empty feeling, you know, uh, when, when I decided to make the shift to be much more servant-based and to care much more about how I could add value to others and stop worrying so much about how they could add value to me, it was like this weight was lifted off of my shoulders. I, I immediately just felt emotionally lighter and emotionally more agile. And, and as we all know, when you do something good for someone else, you add value to their lives, it makes you feel better. So, you know, I don't want to sound too altruistic. This shift actually made me feel better because I took the focus off of myself and I put it on others. And, and I heard this quote uh, several years ago, and I, I don't know who said it originally, or I'd give them proper attribution, but it was, if you, if you focus on accumulating and you focus on chasing, you'll never have enough. But if you focus on giving and you focus on serving, 
you'll never run out. And, and think about that math, you know? I mean, you, it's insatiable to always try and get that next thing. When in reality, if you just focus on serving others, uh, it's been my experience, the way the world works, you'll get everything that you've ever wanted in life by focusing on helping others get what it is that they want. I love that quote. That's a great quote. We'll have to figure out who said that. How are there so many quotes that we don't know who said them that we just all repeat? Okay. I, I think that's the greatest advice. Greatest advice um, is to look at how you can serve others, not how you can be served or how you can be helped. That's such a great, powerful one. Um, I feel like making impact through leadership when it looks in that way, how have you seen businesses transform from using that method to seeing their business structure grow, their revenues increase, their you know loyalty increase? How have you seen that put into action with some of the clients you've worked with? Well, the, the best organization I've worked work with are crystal clear on their core values. And the reason being crystal clear on core values is so important is that it it provides a North Star, if you will, kind of a guiding light for everybody in the organization to follow. And the, the top organizations uh, are built of team members who embrace their role and, and, and know their role and star in their role, but then they make decisions based on what's uh, best for the team, not necessarily what's best for themselves. And they make decisions that are in alignment with their core values. So in essence, it actually makes uh, for a leader, from a leader standpoint, it makes decision making that much more fluid. Now, leaders still have really hard decisions to make, but when you're crystal clear in your core values, you now have a framework to make that process more fluid because every single decision you make, you simply ask yourself, is this in alignment with our core values or not? And, and certainly if the answer is yes, then you can proceed without hesitation. If the answer is no, at the very least, I'd hope you'd take a beat or take a breath to decide whether or not you still want to go in that direction. So, you know, the, the organizations that are crystal clear on why they exist, their identity, and equally clear on their core values and their standard of excellence, and then they they model that daily are the ones that, that make the best progress. And, you know, it's, it's important for every team member, whether they're in a leadership position or not, regardless of title or tenure or where they fall on the org chart, to feel that sense of ownership. And, and everybody on the team needs to recognize that the team can't become something they're not. And for those in leadership, you can't lead a team somewhere you're not going. So there has to be alignment um, with the decisions you make and, the, and your habits and your daily behaviors and your core values. And, and the reason this is so important is it adds a level of consistency to any leader or any organization. You know, you, you, a leader doesn't need to worry about you know their mood or their feelings or their emotions because those things are going to ebb and flow they choose to make decisions decisions that are best for the organization as a whole but they make decisions based on core values and standards not on emotions and feelings and to me one of the most impressive traits of any leader in any walk of life is consistency you know that every single day this person is going to show up as the best version of themselves now, that doesn't mean they're going to show up as perfect. As human beings, right. we are all flawed and fallible. They're not going to be perfect, uh, and nor should there be an expectation that they will be, but they are going to show up every single day and do the best they can to live in alignment with the core values that the organization has agreed upon. And, you know, culture is a word that's thrown around a lot. And my definition of culture is how well an organization aligns their beliefs with their behaviors. 
Um, so your beliefs, your core values, the things you talk about with your team incessantly all of the time, how well are you doing those things? Are you just talking about them and then living something that's very contradictory to that? Or are those things in perfect harmony? And the organizations and the leaders that have harmony between beliefs and behaviors are the ones that have long-term sustainable excellence. Yeah, I talk about that idea of living your core values. Like, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see me, but it's like literally like these right here, these lenses that I'm holding in my hands, these glasses, they are my core values. Now, when I put them on, I'm looking through those values. Every decision you make, every conversation you have with the team member, every hire you make, every marketing campaign you put out, if you put those lenses on and you're now looking through those traits and if it passes through, you can literally see, okay, yep, matches all the things, then go forth and prosper. If all of a sudden you're like, wait, that doesn't align, we need to have a little like pause and figure out whether or not this is the action we should take. Absolutely. I love that uh, analogy of, of using the glasses. And, you know, step one is getting clarity on what your organizational core values are. Um, and, and once you do, then they need to be talked about, reinforced and emphasized every single day. You know, anytime you have a, a group of team members together, you know, you guys need to be talking about them, reinforcing and emphasizing them in some capacity. You know, if, if, if you're in a traditional brick and mortar uh, office building, you know, those core values need to be up on the walls in every single room that you're going to be in. I mean, they should be in your email signature. They should be everywhere you go um, so that, that folks uh, enjoy and appreciate the repetition. And that which gets emphasized gets improved. So we need to make sure that everyone is aware of those core values. Uh, as a leader, when you see someone modeling or exemplifying core values really well, you need to praise them and acknowledge them because that which gets praised gets repeated. Uh, when you see somebody on the team not living in accordance with the core values uh, or not modeling them or living them out, you need to care enough about them and about the team to hold them accountable, to call them out and say, "That's this is not the way we behave here. This is These are not the types of decisions that we make here. And you do it with compassion. You do it with empathy. You do it with grace and with professionalism and respect but you have to call people out if they're not living in accordance with the core values. And um, again, the groups that can clarify and identify those and then care enough about each other to hold them accountable to those, those are the groups that excel and, and sustain excellence over the long term. Yeah. That which gets praised gets repeated. What a great quote. I was just like literally going over in my head over and over again. And I think right now we're diving already into something we knew we were going to talk about, which was team cohesion, hiring, right? And But I want to make sure, yes, we're going to dive into that, but I want to make sure that people realize when you hear culture, I think a lot of us think, oh yeah, it's the core values, it's our team, it's how we are in, internally as a business. But on top of those values being spoke of in the email signature, on the walls and the posters, right? Um, reinforced by leadership, reinforced together. It's also something you want to make sure you're you're diving into, not diving into, that you are spilling out externally as well, right? If you're if these values are important to your internal, they're equally as important to the external market that you're pre preaching and talking to. And I think there are companies that do a really good job at one, and sometimes 
do a really good job at the other, but not all tend to do it equally for both internal and external. So I just had to throw that in there, but let's use that as our beautiful segue into talking about how you have used your experiences, performance um, around team cohesion and, and specifically hiring as well. Yeah, well, you just brought up a beautiful point, and that is the the groups that are most in touch with their core values and live those to the best, that will resonate outward. They, they don't need to chase, they attract. Uh, and this is true for future team members, and it's true for clients and customers. They, they don't need to constantly chase people and try and convince them and beat them over the head to either be a part of their team or to buy from, from their organization. It just happens naturally because they exude this confidence of living in that type of alignment. And, and when you outwardly promote and constantly talk about and reinforce those core values, then people know what you stand for and they know what you believe in. And, you know, back to the, you know, looking at the hiring process, I think one of the best interview questions you can ask a potential candidate is which of our core values do you feel most aligned with? Or which of our core values resonates mostly with you? Or if you really want to see if somebody is is open and honest and willing to be vulnerable and have some courage, when's the last time you violated one of these core values and what was the lesson you learned from it? But to me, those types of questions will really tell you if a potential hire is a good fit. And really, that's where cohesion starts with. It's making sure you're letting the right people in the locker room or the right people on the bus and it has to do with fit. Um, we know how important talent is. And in any organization, there, there are silos of talent that you, you, know, you want the best people. But bringing in someone that's super talented, that's not a great fit with the organization or the culture or the core values um, is going to be a major problem down the line. So from a cohesion standpoint, we want to get everybody that can kind of fit together beautifully like a uh, a mosaic or a, a jigsaw puzzle. So we want to get the right people that fit in and believe in and buy into what it is that we're doing. And really that that continuum is we want to attract the right people. We want to ask them the right questions during the interview process to make sure they're the right fit. Once we decide that they are, uh, we want to on, onboard them properly, make sure they feel incredibly welcomed and, and they feel supported and challenged to do their role and we want to clarify what their role is going to be and how they can make a maximum contribution. We want to continue to pour into them and train and develop so that they continue to grow as the organization grows. And if we can do those things consistently, um, then we'll drastically lower attrition. You'll see far fewer people leave your organization than come into your organization if you do things right. And that's that's how you have growth. And occasionally someone will leave. And hopefully when they leave, it's because there is a better opportunity for them. And, and at that point, as a leader or as an organization, you should be happy for them. You should be thankful and grateful that they spent X amount of time pouring into your team. And now you should support them as they go on to do something that they feel is in their best interest or maybe for their family or career's best interest. Um, but that's really what it is that we're looking for. And, uh, I'll say, and I say this with a smile, if if you ever have a team member that's deciding to leave and everybody's happy that they're leaving, well, that means they weren't a good fit. That means that you made some type of error in the hiring process. You know, if, if you bring somebody on and then you're happy to see them leave, that means there was something wrong. There was a blind spot of some sort or, or some type of red flag that you missed. 
Uh, you should never be happy to see someone leave. You know, you should wish them well, um, but that's certainly a sign of, of cohesion as well. Yeah. I think when I think about it, when I am thinking about hiring, I think there's two things you need to vet for, right? It's for the skill, the talent, the, the tactical side, the job description side of things. And I call those teachables. And then we have the other side, which is the alignment to our beliefs and our values. It's our brand alignment, right? And I call those unteachables because people are going to be innately in alignment with what you believe or not. And I do think some people can develop compassion or can develop and and I'm going to say integrity, but I kind of feel like you either have that or you don't. But I do think people, you know, you, you said it yourself earlier, we do evolve as humans. Um, but I think the unteachables are the things that if they're unteachable, we need to vet them out very early on in our hiring process to make sure that, you know, we can teach all day long how to code or how to be a good customer service representative or whatever the task at hand is. But the unteachables need to be streamlined and vetted out early on. Do you agree with that? Or does, do you feel like, have you seen it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and that's the interesting thing is, and, and I'm glad that you used me as, as an example. I absolutely believe in people's ability to change and the ability to evolve. But if I was hiring someone, I wouldn't bank on it. Uh, I wouldn't have right. necessarily hired me when I was in my early twenties and just assumed that I was going to make those changes. Um, that's a, mm -hmm. that can be a very dangerous bet. Uh, believe in people, support people, but you need to hire someone that is all in and, and, and is the right fit at present. Instead of bringing in someone that's super talented, has a great resume, you don't think they're the right fit, but you think you're going to be able to change them into the right fit in a short period of time. Uh, I think that could be a, could be a, an issue that's waiting to happen. So I do believe in supporting people's ability to evolve. But if I was hiring someone, I would not bank on the fact that that is going to happen. Because as we all know, um, evolution, growth, development, improvement is hard. And everyone's on their own journey doing things at, at yeah. their own, you know, on their own timeline. So it's just something that I would be cautious of. And, and still, all of this stuff goes back to just really being outwardly promotional with what it is you believe in and what it is that you stand for. You know, my, my brother uh, lives in uh, St. Augustine and he's a huge Disney fan. So he, him and his family go to Disney uh, at least twice a month and they love the Disney brand. And, and while I'm not quite the same Disney nerd that he is, I have a huge respect for, for the way that Disney has outwardly promoted what it is that they believe in and the types of people they want on their team. Um, and it doesn't mean that we all have to believe what they believe or that we all have to love Disney as much as they do. But Disney doesn't need to outwardly try and drag people in to be a part of their team. They have thousands of people begging to be a part of that culture because they know that that would be the right fit for them. They have done such a brilliant job of outwardly promoting their core values and beliefs, their culture, what it is that's important to them, and the type of person that would be a good fit to work there. You know, they're more of they have to sift through the, the thousands and thousands of incoming resumes as opposed to being out constantly searching for people to drag in and convince to be a part of their team. So uh, the, I think they're a group, again, whether you align with and believe in what they believe in or not is irrelevant. You can't argue the fact that you kind of know what you're getting if you decide to, to apply to work at Disney.
Yeah. And if you come in and you're not in alignment with those values, then two, one of, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to get pushed out real quick because the brand values are so strong and the team members are there going to see, Hey, that's not what we do here. Or the wor the worst of the two is you're going to influence people to having these out of alignment beliefs. They're going to think, Oh, well, I am very enthusiastic. Why isn't this guy? Am I being weird? Right. It's right. really crazy how one sour apple can spoil the bunch. Is that one bruised apple? What's, is that the saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're hundred percent correct. That is the saying. And it's, and it's so true. And that's why collectively the filter at which you use to bring in new team members is really, really important. And we see this in sports too. You know, the, the best sports programs are crystal clear on the type of, I'm thinking college at the moment, they're crystal clear on the types of players they want to recruit. You know, they know what they want from that player from a skill set standpoint. They know what their program is built on. And, and does that person have what it takes from a character standpoint? You know, is that person coachable? You know, will the other members of the current team embrace this person? Will they like this person? You know, I mean, we, we don't always have to behave in a manner to, you know, get people to like us. But let's be honest, being likable helps. You know, being likable helps get you through some tough times when when maybe you're not at your best. So, you know, if you're going to have a team that is going to spend a tremendous amount of time together, it's important that they like, respect and trust each other. It doesn't mean they have to be BFFs outside of the office uh, or off of the court, but they absolutely need to like, trust and respect each other. So all of these things um, you should be vetting for when you're bringing somebody in uh, to be a part of your team or organization. I think this conversation, going back to what we kind of started before, this internal, we're, we're, I think everyone's hearing and thinking very internally right now. But we, we kind of pointed to the idea that all of this also applies externally in our marketing campaigns and our branding and our websites, right? Everything that we're putting out, this all matters as well. Disney does a phenomenal job, great example of putting that out so you know what you're going to expect when you come in. I think that is a really great tie into the conversation that I wanted to have about loyal customers and even increasing revenue. So how have you seen all of this come into play with those? And I know that's kind of wrapping two big things into one. So feel free to divvy it up as, you, as you'd like. No I love the concept of, of loyal customers and, and loyal clients. And um, we can look at that from a few different angles. You know, when, when we talk about sales in general, um, it's always been my experience that you're better off not really looking at it as though you're trying to sell, but looking at it as though you're trying to solve. What is the problem that you solve, either your service or your product? And focus on that. And if you can focus on how you're being of service and what problem you're solving for someone else, then it's just a matter of getting the right prospects in front of you, whether it's your advertising or your marketing, but make sure you're reaching out to the people that have the problem that your service or product actually solves. And, and if you get the right person in front of you, uh, either digitally or in person, and you ask them the right questions, then you never have to convince anyone to buy anything from you. They'll be the ones to come to that conclusion. That's another part of sales that I think is, is vital, that I've learned from some really renowned sales professionals that telling is not selling. The way to sell anything at a high level is to ask the right questions of the right people and then your product or service will simply sell itself. So you should never have to convince anyone to buy from you or to, to beat them over the head to, to buy from you. 
if they are the right person and you ask them the right questions and you're solving the right problem for them, they'll do that enthusiastically. And once they do that and they become a customer or a client, the way you improve loyalty is, is through a few ways. I mean, one, you offer more in value than you ask in payment. You know, and I know value is a relative term, but you offer more in value than you ask in, in payment. And the reason that's relative, you know, there's there's a difference in the value that one would get from going to eat lunch at McDonald's and the value you get going to eat lunch at Ruth Chris, you know, a really nice steakhouse. Uh, both are establishments that feed you at lunchtime, but there's different expectations, there's different costs, and there's certainly a different value in what it is that they provide. So they're not even going after the same type of customer. Um, and that's really important for them to know. Uh, it's also about the experience. What What is the experience that someone has uh, when they buy from you or when they use your product or service? You know, does, does everyone on your team go above and beyond to make sure it is an extraordinary experience that you do things as promptly and professionally as possible? Is it clear to them that everything you're doing is to make their experience better, that you don't have some type of hidden agenda? You know, they don't, they don't just feel like they're a number. They actually feel like they're a valued customer. You know, I, I think given their sheer scale, Amazon does this at a really, really high level. I mean, Amazon is obviously a global Goliath. And I know that I'm not the only person that shops at Amazon. That's why they're so big. But anytime I've had an interaction with Amazon, their customer service and half of their customer service is AI generated now goes above and beyond to rectify my issue. You know, if, if, if I order something and it shows up late or it shows up broken or it's not complete, like they fix it immediately. You know, for me to jump mm -hmm. on Amazon's site and, and to fill out a quick inquiry to get something in, in, you know, fixed is super smooth with them. I can't tell you how many times they've given me a full refund on something with no questions asked. They don't hassle me at all. They don't blame me. They don't make me feel like, you know, I'm inconveniencing them by reaching out and expressing dissatisfaction. In fact, it's the opposite. They are so thankful for my feedback, so thankful for my continued support. You know, I am a very loyal customer of Amazon and, and that's why my experience with them is, is always positive. Well, and I think it's interesting to use Amazon as an example because in Amazon, we have independent sellers, Amazon sellers, right? And so when those people come on and they're expecting to start, a, essentially it's a starting a business and they're tapping into the, the, the uh, client, the audience of an Amazon user who expects that. I have seen it, witnessed myself. I have gone through the review section and I have seen the one and two star reviews that say this seller did not respond to my concern. They did not return my product. They did not refund me. And those are the sellers who are in this, like you said, global Goliath. I love that. This global Goliath who don't end up making it. It's that perfect example of what we value, what we expect from a brand. And when we don't get it, we don't give them sales. We don't give them loyalty yeah. and they don't last. Yeah. So, well, no, I'm so glad you went in that direction. And it's also been my experience on both ends of it, that some of your most loyal customers, some of your biggest evangelists will be people that at some point in time were a bit disgruntled, were a bit dissatisfied. Something didn't go well. But, but the business or the organization, Amazon in this case, um, cared enough to listen and then cared enough to act upon that. You know, that's, and that's been the same thing. Anytime I've delivered a product or service and someone has felt a bit dissatisfied, I go above and beyond to make sure that I hear them out, 
you know, let, let them vent why they were so dissatisfied. And then I do anything I can to rectify and resolve and go above and beyond, even if it means it's going to hurt my bottom line, or I'm going to lose money on this, or I'm going to lose a little bit of time. I'm okay with that. You know, in any business, you should be looking to have an army of people that are incredibly satisfied with the experience you provide and you go above and beyond to do that. And, and many times when you do that, because unfortunately it's so rare in society, you'll actually increase loyalty. Because I don't think people expect perfection. I think unconsciously people know there are going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. There are going to be some packages missing or something. Like they know that. They're not looking for perfection. They're looking for an organization or a business or a brand that cares enough to resolve things when it doesn't go as well as they had expected. So every time you have a dissatisfied customer or client, that is an opportunity for you to increase loyalty by doing it the right way and by caring um, or valuing the fact that they care enough uh, to share that type of feedback. Because the worst thing that can happen for any of us in business is somebody, a customer or client leaves and they don't tell you why. They just quietly leave, you know, uh, in the midnight air and they don't give you any reason or any feedback because you can't do anything with that. When someone cares enough to give you feedback or cares enough to tell you that they were dissatisfied, you can use that information to make improvements. So to me, that's that's really the key to increasing loyalty is do the best you can the first time around, but inevitably understand that your team is going to make some mistakes. Occasionally, you're going to fall short of expectations. And when that happens, create an environment that people feel safe enough to share that with you, give you that feedback, and then you over deliver and go above and beyond to fix it. Well, that, that's such a great, I mean, kind of loop back to where we started with leadership and how if you look through the lens, I think you use the lens analogy of looking through the lens of how can I serve you before it, versus serving myself. And that that is a perfect example of when we have somebody who is kind of almost unserving us and it hurts, literally as entrepreneurs, when you get negative feedback, it hurts. And of all of the positive feedback that you, you could have a hundred reviews with five-star reviews, you get one negative review and all of a sudden that your week is ruined. Your month might be ruined, but the moment you shift it back to what you were saying is like, okay, I need to put my leadership hat on. This doesn't, I'm not gonna, I don't want to think about how this isn't serving me right now. I turn that back around and say, okay, how do I serve this one-star review person? How do I make them happy? How do I hear them out? How do I look through my brand lens and resolve this situation? Um, like you said, see the opportunity for where we fell short. Um, I think that I just kind of sandwiched everything really beautifully. You did. That was masterful. Well done. <laughs> you did. <laughs> um, okay. We talked about all of those in record time. I was like, we'll spend 10 minutes on each of these. So I'm happy because I was thinking last night, um, knowing we were going to jump on together today, I was like, okay, my audience is very much like me. What would they want to hear about from Alan that could be helpful? And I was thinking about this idea of how do I balance the non-hustle mentality that we're being preached at all the time? And I think it's a good thing. You know, everyone says, don't don't the grind, don't be working until 4am and getting two hours of sleep, make sure you prioritize your health, uh, meditate, all of these things, you know, so many things of rest and recovery are greatly being pushed on us. And it's a good thing. 
But then at the same time, there's this counterbalance part of, you know, high performance, be consistent, show up. Um, how do you help people balance the two, these two Goliaths? It all starts with awareness and clarity. And that's really where everything starts. And, and, you know, we talked about the importance of having clarity in your core values as an organization, but you need to have those as a, as a human being as well. Like you need to figure out what you stand for, what you believe in, what, what is your preferred operating system uh, to go through life? And you, you need to be very, you know, crystal clear on that. And then you need to have awareness um, on, on how well that's working for you at present, your current operating system. You know, it's important for folks to realize that awareness is always the first step to improvement, always, because you'll never improve something you're unaware of, and you'll never fix something that you're completely oblivious to. So first and foremost, you need to take an inventory and ask yourself, how well are things working? And, and, and my current operating system, my current values, and, and my current schedule, if you will, and current boundaries, are those things serving me well? You know, one of my favorite adages to uh, improvement and to success for that matter is do more of what works and do less of what doesn't. And I always say that with a huge smile because it is so obvious and I never mean mm -hmm. that to sound condescending, but it's so important for us to take daily inventory and, and be aware enough and, and you know, introspective enough to know what things that we're doing in our life are moving us towards the person we want to become and what things aren't. What things are holding us back or getting in our way or distracting us? So it all starts with a level of awareness and kind of a personal inventory. And then you can kind of kind of go from there. And yeah, I'm a big believer in setting boundaries. I'm a big believer in prioritizing self-care, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, if that's appropriate to whoever's listening. Um, but I believe in setting those boundaries. Um, but that's also because I firmly believe that when my bucket is full, I can perform at a higher level and I can serve others to a much greater degree. You know, if we're going to keep stacking quotes that are not Alan Stein Jr. originals and Alan doesn't know who first said them, one of my all-time favorite quotes is a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And really, if someone were to ask me on kind of an esoteric level what it is that I do for a living, I light candles. That's what I do. You know, I, I do those on stage as a keynote speaker. I hopefully do those as a guest on somebody's podcast. I do those in the books that I write, but I'm trying to share stuff that has worked well for me, worked well for my clients. And my goal is to light other people's candles. And I know that when I do that, it doesn't make my light shine any dimmer. You know, everyone can have their candle lit and we can all go through this together. But that part is really, really important. And I know that in order for me, to light as many candles as effectively and as efficiently as possible, I've got to care enough about myself to fill my bucket. So I am, you know, almost maniacal about my own self-care routine, about my sleep, about what I eat, uh, about my exercise routines, about the content that I consume. That's one of the most important things that we have to put boundaries on. So I'm very protective of all of that because I want my bucket to be filled so that I can be the best father I'm capable of. I can be the best speaker, the best business owner. So I, I think all of that kind of holistically, folks just need to kind of take a look at how they're doing currently. And if they feel like they're stuck or in a rut or not performing at a level that they're capable of, then that's the time to start to make some tweaks. And that goes back to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And it is very individualized. You know, I'll, I'll see some, you know, really 
intelligent and well thought out folks on social media preaching certain things that just don't work well for me. And that's okay. If it's a good fit for them and a good fit for maybe the rest of their audience, then that's wonderful. Then those people should do those things. And, and similarly, anything that I put out into the world, I don't expect anyone to just follow at face value. I don't expect anyone to just take my word as gospel and just do it. All I try and do is share the things that have worked well for me. And I want folks to kind of try those on no different than you, you know, try on a new shirt or a pair of pants. And if they fit great, get them. If they don't, then look for another size or look for another brand. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You did such a phenomenal job wrapping, uh, kind of sandwiching episode one of us together. You, we started off with your why, which was to light as many candles as possible. Literally, that's what you shared on our first episode. So I just love that we're kind of nearing the end of today's episode. And you brought that back up again, sandwiching so much. This is such a, you're such a great example of practicing what you preach, right? Sharing that repetitively, knowing that by doing that, it is selfish in the fact that it's important to you, but it's giving back to so many others because that's the only way you can do it, right? Oh, well, I um, appreciate you saying that. But if, if I can make one disclaimer, yes. and I say this actually with, with tremendous humility and pride and a big smile, with everything that I'm sharing, everything I shared on the first episode, everything I'm sharing now, everything I share on stage, everything I share on page, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. You know, I don't have all straight A's in any of these departments. These are all areas that I'm continuing to strive to level up and to improve and to evolve. Um, I have good days and bad days, just like everybody else. I have good moods and bad moods, just like everybody else. But what I've really learned to do is give myself some space and some grace to be fallible and to be less than perfect, to acknowledge that that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to occasionally have some poor decisions. There's going to be some times where I don't show up as the best version of myself. And I've learned not to beat myself up over that. I've learned not to be too self-critical, not to stack on the shame and the guilt, but allow myself to be less than perfect. And, and trust you, I, I am definitely less than perfect, but I am proud of the progress that I'm making. I mean, I can say with a huge smile, I am better at this stuff today than I was the last time that you and I talked on episode one. And if you have me back as a three-peat two years from now, I can almost <laughs> guarantee that I'll be better at this stuff then than I am today. So for me, I am much more inspired and motivated by progress than I am by perfection. And I threw perfection out the window years ago. So if anyone listening to this, if Hopefully some of these ideas have sparked some thought and sparked some inspiration and, and this resonates with you and you've got some things that you want to tinker with and try. That's wonderful. But if any part of you is listening and you're thinking, boy, I've got a lot of work to do or I'm not doing really well in this area, it's okay. I know it doesn't feel good to not be okay, but it's okay. And all you have to worry about is tomorrow trying to be a little bit better than you were today in any of these areas that we've talked about. This is true personally, it's true professionally, it's true individually, and it's true organizationally. Can your team be a little better tomorrow than they were today? And as long as that arrow is pointed up or pointed forward and you or your team is moving in the right direction, then hopefully that gives you some fulfillment and satisfaction. I feel like I just need to listen to this episode every morning 
Because so many of the things that you're saying are the things that I have to, I have to, I need to repeat to myself, progress over perfection, not looking backwards and thinking, why wasn't I good as good then as I am now and, and regretting it. So many of the things you just shared are things that I need to hear on a regular. So I know that this episode is going to serve so much value for our listeners and for myself. So thank you. I want to make sure that before we wrap, that um, the audience has a good sense of what what it is you're doing, what is the most important thing that's on your agenda right now, and how are you serving others? Um, are we looking at speaking gigs that we can show up for? Are we buying your book? What is the best way to get into your world and, and learn more? Well, for anyone familiar with John Gordon's approach to New Year's resolutions, which is picking one word as your theme for the entire year, that's something I found is incredibly helpful. My one word for 2023 is focus. And primarily, as far as that's concerned from a business standpoint, I decided to spend this entire year focused on growing my corporate keynote speaking business, my motivational speaking business. Um, I chose to sideline writing a third book until next year. So I haven't been doing any writing you know, specifically for a book. Uh, I had an online course that I decided to shelve. I, I took a lot of the other things that I enjoyed doing, but I felt they were somewhat distracting me from being the best keynote speaker that I was capable of and growing my business to the level that it's capable of. So everything I'm doing right now is focused on uh, corporate keynote speaking. So certainly if, if anybody listening, uh, if you have an event or you're part of a team or an organization or brand that is ever looking for a keynote speaker and you think any of these messages that Steph and I have talked about today would be the right fit for your team or audience, um, that's the best way to support. And you can just go to allensteinjr.com. You can click the contact tab, fill out the information, and uh, my team and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Now, supplementary to that, as you've mentioned, I do have two books, uh, Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. Uh, those are easily found on Amazon or Audible <laughs> uh, if you're looking for that. And then I take a lot of pride in sharing a tremendous amount of, of content on social media. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, um, and, and Instagram. And I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on all of those platforms. Um, those are a great way to reach out. If someone listening to this, if, if something we talked about really struck a chord and resonated, or, or you have a story you want to share, or you have a question that you want to ask, shoot me a DM on Instagram or on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a, it's, it's, I'm always good about being very accessible and very responsive. We'll get back to everyone promptly. And if you're looking for additional content, you can go to our YouTube channel, which again, is just backslash Alan Stein Jr. Uh, for tons of videos um, that are hopefully in very much alignment with the stuff that we talked about today. I, I will have to say that he's you're not just saying that you're accessible. You've been one of the most generous with your time for me personally. Like I love knowing that if I jump on Instagram and DM you that I'm talking to you. And then maybe you have some team in there here and there and that's, you know, but I know eventually like you show up and you respond to me and we have a good relationship in that way. And I love that because you are so human. And in this world of AI, we won't go there, but in this world of automation and AI and everything, the more human we can be to each other, I think the, the better we will all be. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Okay, guys. Well, I hope you got, I know you got a ton of value from this episode. Share this episode. Um, I will make sure in the show notes that we have several great links. I want to link last season's episode because if you got value today, you're going to get value from that episode as well. Um, 
and your website to make sure all the things that you just talked about are easily accessible. We'll get that in there as well. And uh, again, I just can't thank you enough for your time. My pleasure. This was fun. I look forward to our third round in a couple of years. All right, deal. Okay, guys, until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast. I truly hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. So if you did, please rate, review, and share. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, whether a leader or an expert, please go to getvim.com forward slash podcast and you will find our application page or reach out to me directly and I can give you more information. 